Welcome to Switched On with Paul Moderman and James Wood. Strap in for great chats with super smart people on SAP solutions, Microsoft Azure cloud development, and everything in between. And welcome back to Switched On with Paul Moderman and James Wood. I am, of course, Paul Moderman, and with me as ever, as as just like it's like Bo and Luke Duke of the Dukes of Hazard right here. And I'm not sure which one I am. There was no bald Duke of Hazard, but I'm the bald one, and James is the one with great hair. James, say hi. That's that's quite an intro. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have with us today on the podcast a, a guest of such galactic magnitude of such stellar performance that I think James, we're right, we're gonna we're just gonna shut it down after this one, right? We're gonna publish this one and then we're gonna we're gonna turn off the feed and we'll say we're done. This is it. We've reached the pinnacle of podcast guesting in the enterprise space forever and for all time. So <laughs> I, I'd say without further ado, except to say reverential bows, we would like to present John Reed of Diginomica. John, welcome. Uh, thanks, guys. It's good to be in the hot seat. Let's let's see if I can live up to that that bombastic introduction. So what? So what, John? What we do is we give we give our guests the mic real quick for for whatever kind of intro you want to do to our guests, so they can our listeners, so they know who you are. So please introduce yourself. Take as long or as short as you need to kind of give our listeners. Hey, who's John Reed? Right. So I'm going to keep this short, but I'm the co-founder sure. of Diginomica. We've been around for almost 10 years now. And really the overarching focus of Diginomica is on, is on the realities of transformation, what it means for enterprises, mm. how you how you potentially achieve some success this area, what and all, obviously what the what the pitfalls are, which are where mm. we fall into all the time. The the only thing I try to do is just stay humble and try to earn it every day. I I really mm. don't look at look at it any other way than that. And I I take the belief that to get more products across the finish line, we all have to do a better job of being more transparent and try to be smarter and and air out the issues. And so mm. I look forward to seeing how we do today on that topic. <laughs> that's that's great. And so I'm glad you mentioned transformation because our our central topic, John, what we do is we do seasons of our podcast and we group our guests kind of around a theme for a season. And the theme for this season is what the heck is digital transformation? Because I think it has, and James, step in and like smack me upside the head if I go off the rails too much here. But for me, I'm just gonna get it ready. He's he's got the he's got the smack <laughs> in hand ready. For me, digital transformation has this weird. It has a like a a marketingy taste in my mouth when I hear that term, and so it's hard for me to disambiguate what Accenture or Deloitte or whatever might be trying to sell people about digital transformation versus what people might be looking for in whatever that term means. And whether I think whether even end enterprise customers are even looking for that or whether they're looking for something else and whatever baggage in that term is just coming for the ride, right? So, so my first question to you, John, is for you, what does the term digital transformation mean? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I guess I, I, I continue to, to do battle within myself about this a little bit. So 
one one things I can tell you is that I think semantics are useful to a point, and mm-hmm. then they become not very useful at all because so much of this is company specific and industry specific. And the job of anyone who cares about the stuff is to help companies figure out what their next steps is. And if if digital transformation provides a nice framework for them, that's fine. But if it doesn't, that's fine. One thing I find fascinating is there's actually very many, a number of different compelling models to think about in terms of an aspirational state for enterprises. There's not just one. But I'll tell you, I don't use the phrase digital transformation at all. And the reason I don't anymore, well, I do if if I'm quoting someone. But I prefer to emphasize the term transformation because to me, this is really about people, it's about process, it's about culture, and it's about business model. And technology is an, an enabler for those things. And technology is getting better to the point that it actually provokes a more interesting conversation about all that stuff. Mm. But but I don't actually use the term digital transformation for that reason. But in general, I think the way we think about it is that it provokes a conversation about change and that's a healthy conversation where we go with that, I think is a very individual decision and a and an individual company decision. You know, that's interesting because I'll tell you the, the first time I heard the term was six, seven, eight years ago, something like that. Right. And I heard, mm-hmm. I heard digital transformation and I was like, and back then I was just, I was a developer, right. I still am, but I was then too. And I, I, I was in my head, I was like, so does that mean just doing stuff on computers? Because I already do that. And I've been doing that for years is like, I digitally transform things every day. What the Mm. heck does this term mean? But when you, when you subtract digital out of it, at least as a term and think about the, 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 the people first aspect of it. And then, Hey, maybe tech is coming for the ride or tech is the, maybe Mm. tech is the street you drive on to get there. Right. There's, that's an interesting flip around of the meaning there. I think. Interesting. Yeah, so, and I think the biggest thing is. Yeah. Oh, the, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Not, I, I was, I was, I was mentally vamping my next question. Go, go for it. Well, I just think the biggest thing is that we want to take control of this conversation and not let vendors and marketers define this conversation for us. Yeah, that's true. And I think the the funny thing about that too. That's a good point too. Is that you know James and I have been talking about the even the various service offerings that we as a company have and. It's funny because James, we've kind of come back to this is it's almost like the, the, the term has been spent because we'll, we'll hem and haw about, okay, it's this, but not this. And it's this, but not this. And we keep coming back to like, we want to deliver, we want to deliver a transformation, but we don't really want to say the term digital transformation almost. Right. We want to deliver that very same change to our customers, but we don't, like the the term scares us off. James, talk talk more about how we we've kind of formulated that in our heads. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's John hit it on the head. I mean, as far as you know, vendors and marketers really, you know, I, I guess putting their stamp on that conversation, and, and probably so much so that customers just have all these weird preconceived notions at times about what that even entails, Mm -hmm. you know, almost, you know, map it to a product, (laughs) you know, oh, you have a digital transformation product. Well, you know, not not exactly. And I I think there's that aspect of it, but then, you know, the other aspect is a lot of mainstream enterprise solutions you know, we'll, we'll kind of go under that heading, but 
almost the furthest thing from transformation, really. Yeah. You know, more yeah. of the same stuff we've been doing, you know, forms over data for years and years and years, all these things like that somehow gets lumped into the equation as well. And so, you know, it's one thing to say we offer transformation services. It's another thing to say, you know, that type of development is by definition much more process centric. You know, we are trying to, you know, bring empathy into the equation and really understand the process from start to finish and how does it all fit together. And so, you know, obviously that intersects with technology on some level. But it's a totally different type of service offering compared to, you know, we'll build a bunch of programs that do this or that, you know? Yeah. John, one thing I'm curious about is like, so, cause I mean, you, you get your, you get, you get a lot of talk time with a lot of different people out in the world there. Mm. What the, the folks who are actually kind of at enterprise customers, making things go do they think about it in terms of transformation like is that a word that they think about when they're mustering their projects and they're thinking about the future for themselves is that how they think about it as transformation yeah you know it's interesting because by and large customers don't use that terminology i find right but but that that does depend a little bit there are some forward-thinking executives at certain customers that do use some of that lingo mm. and i've documented some some of that in some of the use cases that i've done on digenomica but in general if you sit down at lunch with customers and you start talking about transformation they're going to look at you like like you're about to whip out like business <laughs> cards and like right <laughs> you know talk to them about multi-level marketing or something like it's a, <laughs> it, it's like a huge turnoff for, for them but on the other hand if you talk to someone individually about their challenges and their struggles in their lives i think what you find is that most people do want to to change in some way and mm. and, and to me like i don't think i could be in this industry if i didn't believe that the change was possible either for myself or for companies it's just that mm. the language the language being used for that we have to look at very carefully and when when you look at it you have to understand that the reason vendors and ser services firms like the word transformation so much is that it implies a never ending process of buying more stuff right and, yeah <laughs> and and we kind of have to we kind of have to put the brakes on that and, yeah. and say and say is this really a thing do we buy into this and if so it should be for our for our own reasons but one reason why i think it's incredibly important to to talk about transformation on some level and get a handle on it is that the era of point solutions is really breaking down in the sense that it is nice sometimes to do a small project and get a quick win, and that, that's more important than ever now. But in general, if those quick wins don't add up to to something coherent, if they don't, if they're not part of a coherent architecture and a coherent approach to customers and what have you, then you're going to have a fail at some point. And mm. and what we have seen so often in the last 10 years in the enterprise is companies confronting the realities of past bad decisions and the technical debt, and then layering other stuff on top of that can be such a fail. And so one of the reasons why the transformation conversation matters is because we need to think about, yeah, we may be focused on this one pain point or this one opportunity right now, but in general, how are we going to do this in such a way that we can eventually be more consistent as an organization in what we try to do and not have to dig out from under every time we want uh, to do a new project, you know? So, so what, let's see. So that's, I, I, I kind of like that. What, what are those folks looking at in terms of those repeat enablers then? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, so obviously you have to start thinking about data 
and and mm. and and are you going to have an underlying data model or are or is that war been lost for now and in that case maybe you look at <laughs> uh, a cloud-based analytics solution where you can at least start to port different solutions into that and start to make sense mm. of your data but in general and i can get into this because i prepared a bunch of special stuff for you guys just that was floating <laughs> around my head oh that's this awesome new stuff listener listeners prepare yeah. to sit at the feet of the master we're ready to <laughs> well, this ready is more to just like or, or just you know spew these thoughts and see if they make sense but <laughs> but but one of one of the things that i that i do actually kind of believe in is this notion of continuous everything which is like no matter what area of the enterprise you look at we want to get closer to real time and how we do things right yeah. and and it may not always be completely instantaneous real time but the point is we want to have more visibility on stuff mm. we want to know like is our stuff on a ship in the pacific ocean or is it actually in the suez canal somewhere <laughs> or is it actually on a dry dock we want to kind of know where that is uh-huh. and but and also if you look at hr do you kind of want to know how your employees are doing this week or do you want to wait until next year and do a performance review and deal with it then? Mm. Well, that's probably too late. You know, mm. by by then, if mm. they're disaffected, they probably left. So wherever you look at on the enterprise, there's this notion that we're that we need to get faster and better at understanding problems so we can intervene more quickly. And I think the one thing I can tell you is that these these conversations I think are easier to have right now with customers because the pandemic has exposed us a lot and it has made us feel vulnerable. And as a result of that, we also kind of see, well, maybe we need to seize this opportunity. And I think the the more interesting conversations are about not just how do we um, protect ourselves from getting smacked in the face, but how do we actually get out in front of some things? That I So here's a an inside baseball thing. I, I usually do a blog post about every guest that we have on and I, I, I do pull quotes from things that, that people say. And I literally just wrote, I usually, and I do it later after we do the edit and stuff like that. But you said continuous everything. And I love that. I love that as a term because James, I think that kind of basically identifies what a lot of our, like the, the drive behind a lot of the projects that we do for our customers is in the back of their heads, continuous everything I want to like understand now versus reflect later is at the heart of a lot of what we do. Would you, would you agree? Yeah. I mean, that, that is, you know, a, a very common thing and, and it goes, you know, well beyond the, you know, when you go to these conferences and, you know, the boardroom of tomorrow, <laughs> you know, right. like that, that desire has always been there. You know, I mm-hmm. want this, you know, dashboard that can see everything, but I, I mean, I, I think, there, there's just such a need to have fingertips on the the kinds of things that the John is describing, and and I think it's, you know, in some ways, you think about the way that we, you know, we talk to customers about a lot of our projects. They'll describe a process that will happen almost completely outside of the system, mm-hmm. and then get documented after the fact. So yes, you are getting this information. Eventually, it flows into you know some kind of dashboard. You can see it, but it's mm-hmm. not that continuous everything you know necessarily. If the system is not involved and it's not mm-hmm. you know kind of side by side with that mm-hmm. person as they're going through a day in the life, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, John. Let me ask you this then: from from the vendors you talk to and and think about do do the vendors have a, a good understanding of continuous everything and the thing whatever that means for for their customers i think a lot of them are biting off a chunk of that 
there's mm-hmm. there's not that many vendors that are taking on the whole thing mm. though I, I think certainly some ambitious vendors are trying i mean when, when sap talks about the so-called intelligent enterprise that's mm-hmm. essentially that's essentially their version of most vendors i think are trying to bite off a chunk of that they don't always use the exact same terminology in every case but you'd be surprised how much it carries over so for example like a lot of financial planning vendors best of breed vendors talk about continuous planning for example mm. Mm-hmm. And I think the one thing to keep in mind with continuous stuff is that there's a, and I have my BS, my bullshit meter <laughs> right here. So I can, I can use it on our, on myself or you guys. Ready for I the alarm to. to go off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the one thing we have to remember is that while I think it can be an appealing framework, it's also something where positive steps towards that goal are sometimes good enough for now. And we can't always beat ourselves up and say, well, so for example, continuous planning, like the notion of doing scenario planning on a continuous basis is still mind blowing for a lot of companies. But during the pandemic, many of them did have to learn how to redo financial plans much more frequently than they had in the past. And so this notion of continuous becomes what it needs to then become is translated into a maturity model that helps customers to understand the steps along the way so that they don't feel discouraged about this this seemingly impossible journey. But you see it in other areas too. So for example, like, like, like a number of financial vendors use, cloud financial vendors use the continuous close as that model for the transactional close, mm-hmm. right? And so continuous can apply to that as well. And again, the same thing, like there's not very many companies that are operating on a continuous close framework, but even reducing the closing period dramatically in terms of the time mm-hmm. it takes is a is a very meaningful objective. And so it becomes an obligation on the part of the vendor and, and the services provider to help demystify that process and help companies to understand how to get there. So, okay, let's, so, Let's turn this on its head a little bit. Where do you see end customers miss the mark on their transformation slash continuous everything? Like, where do you see them kind of oh, swing and miss? Oh, couldn't couldn't get there. Like, what happens in those cases? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I mean, every every customer has different challenges based on mm-hmm. like how you know, how, how Greenfield their stack is, how much executive buy-in they have. So everyone can go wrong in a different way. And, Mm. you know, and, and then you have like merger and acquisition scenarios where suddenly the ground shifts overnight and you're, you have whole new constituent groups, groups you're responsible for and everything like that. But if I were to say in general, what, what concerns me is that the imperative doesn't run deep enough in the organization that, Mm. that, that culturally there's not enough buy-in from the top on what this means and there's not enough attention paid to what this means to employees i mean generally speaking employee morale and and quote unquote experience if you want to use that trendy slang is the weakness and that companies tend to you know like like amazon for example like obsesses over customer experience like, yeah I was just on their website last night. They were telling me about, oh, you know, we're the number one customer focused company in the world. I'm like, yeah, but I also know a lot about your employee experience. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And and I'm just not, I'm just not a fan. Okay, like I'm not a fan of, yeah. of how Amazon treats its employees. I realize yeah. that some people, some people thrive in, especially at the higher levels of that company, they thrive on that Amazon culture. So I'm not saying it's wrong for everyone, but the point is, you have to figure out how to do this in a way that. Every person in your organization embraces 
the what you're trying to accomplish. Otherwise, there's a weak link somewhere, and it's usually the fact that you're not giving employees enough of an opportunity for for fulfillment. And having mm-hmm. said that, having said that, a lot of vendors are trying to solve these problems and, and figure out how to do that because you know we have to be realistic and understand that employees are also the biggest cost in a lot of organizations yeah. as well. And and from a Wall Street perspective, there is this whole other specter of of how they view those costs. So so we have to be realistic here. But in general, I would say the weaknesses are that the transformations don't go far enough, aren't bought in high enough, and aren't aren't kind of repeatable enough throughout the organization. You talk so, about buy-in. Yeah, go ahead, Jim. Sorry, sorry Paul. I, you talk about buy-in there. I'm curious to get your thoughts on. Is, is some of the lack of buy-in at, at the higher levels? just a function of lack of understanding about how transformational this can really be? Yeah, I think at times, you know, I mean, leadership shuffles are kind of a constant. And so it can be hard to maintain a corporate identity in the middle of all of that and say, this is, this is what we're committed to regardless of like who exactly fills these seats. But yes, sometimes it's just a lack of of resolve around it. Other times it's just that 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 the problems like need a lot of follow through and and you, you know there's a lot of pressure on these multi-year projects to deliver results quickly and I think that can create a lot of pressure. And so one of the things we have to do in these in these contexts if a company buys into this sort of model is they have to figure out how do we show the quick wins along the way? And one of the things I always, when I do these use case interviews, I'm always looking for that. I'm looking for not only how did you build your business case, but how did you continue to, to build that business case? Because mm-hmm. it used to be that once you, once you got the green light for your three-year project, you know, your three-year ERP project, for example, yeah. you were, yeah. you were good for three years. Yeah. Now, yeah. now you're not, now you're not, and, and you're not comfortable anymore. So, so, so you have to always be able to come back in three months and say, well, you know, here's a milestone that we did achieve that made a difference in the lives of our customers or our suppliers or, sure. or w- whatever. So I think that part is is really difficult. And there's also a whole middle management thing where I see a lot of companies where the top buys in, but they haven't figured out how to get everyone else in the middle of that to, to mm-hmm. buy in for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So, you know, every company right. has a different reason for, for failure. So it's kind of tough for me to say <laughs> exactly what. Sure. Yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon. So Paul and I, we were last week out at the Microsoft Power Platform Conference and had a lot of interesting conversations with product owners, you know, middle managers, directors, you know, all all walks of life, but almost exclusively non-IT that had these different stories of things, you know, they had, you know, leveraged different parts of low code to address, you know, problems that were really plaguing their particular department. And, you know, it was interesting to hear in some cases, you know, a a lot of just the nature of these stories, it was very easy to say, okay, we did this, therefore this is the ROI. And it's very easy to calculate, very easily, easy to see it. Some managers are like, let's keep doing that, you know, (laughs) as much as we possibly can, you know, whatever you need, let's go. On the other hand, we heard some people that were just, you know, like, well, <laughs> despite the fact that we had a very clear case of, you know, this transformation was was hugely effective, still that that kind of hand wringing of, you know, is this the right thing? You know, maybe we mm-hmm. need to tap the brakes. And it's an interesting phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So I think one way to think about this is that that 
we last had a lot of momentum for trend for for transformation in the 90s that was the last big time because there was this sort of there was there was a carrot and a stick. The stick was Y2K, which everyone was terrified about beyond yeah. reason. The carrot, I, I suppose, the other stick was being Amazon out of existence, right? It was the rise <laughs> of the dot coms and this feeling that maybe you could be disrupted at night and and kind of thrown out of your industry. But the thing we have to think about going forward is that, you know, customers like their urge to change is partially dictated by their perceived competitive environment. And every industry has a different competitive dynamic. So for example, in the airline industry, how vulnerable are the big airlines really to, to competition? I mean, you and I can't go out and start an airline because we want to disrupt the airline space. Mm-hmm. And so, so in certain industries, the, 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 the comparative lack of customer choice is a drag on the motivation to, to follow through on these changes. So, so that's one of the dynamics. The one thing I would say is mm-hmm. the pandemic, certainly kind of lit a little bit of a fire and it's it's kind of made the sales job a little bit easier in the sense that I think a lot of customers now are very open to the idea that no matter what region of the world they're in or whatever that that uncertainty is a constant volatile political economic conditions are are forever it's not like we're going to have a post pandemic happy time like there's going to be a continued variety of disruptions. We need to kind of be future-proof in a certain sense. How do we do that? I, I think companies are very open to that, but then the trap that vendors get into, okay, they don't have to sell transformation anymore. So that's good. So so they can tone down the transformation BS in their keynotes. Mm-hmm. But just because the company's open to transformation doesn't mean they want to start with your product and your sales pitch. And that's the big mistake right. that so many companies are making. Mm-hmm. What, they, what, com- what companies want to do next is have an all-encompassing conversation with experts around what's really happening in my industry right now. What are the best companies doing? How are they? How are we being outperformed? Who are the new players? Where are the fresh ideas? And then where are our biggest pain points? And from there, you construct a transformation strategy that's usually driven by a particular form of emphasis. So it might be customer-facing stuff, like we really need a B2C marketplace right away because we've been going B2B for so long, but we can't just go B2B anymore or whatever. For other companies, like we discussed, it might be more of an analytics-driven transformation. Mm-hmm. of our, our data architecture is screwed up. We have a ton of acquisitions, but we need to get all the data in the same environment. So what happens is the transformation needs to then be driven by a particular set of of goals and then behind that is some kind of aspirational framework and 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 every company needs to kind of embrace an aspirational framework and it's interesting because like I was going through some use cases and like one of them I was looking at was an SAP case for the customer I could dig it out in a sec but it was about like they embraced a version of the intelligent enterprise that SAP was pitching, but it was their version of it. It wasn't exactly the same, but, uh. but that was kind of that aspirational thing that they latched onto. On Diginomica, we write about frictionless enterprise, and, and my colleague Phil Wainwright has elaborated a lot on that. Yeah, I've seen and, that. And that's yeah. an aspirational model that some people could as- perhaps adapt, right? It doesn't have to be ours. They can take it and say, we like these building blocks, but every company needs that aspirational model of some kind that is going to drive that. And then from there, now you can start that conversation about continuous and that sense of the continuous thing of like, how can we get more visibility and and the ability to kind of intervene more frequently in what we do? And I can give you some interesting stories on that if you want. So so that that could be cool. Can I ask you one thing about the the SAP stuff specifically? Real quick yeah, yeah. is that intelligent enterprise messaging and that intelligent enterprise angle is that resonating with customers are they like yeah yeah i get it i see what you're saying 
right? Because like, I think at least for me, when I think, when I sort of see conferences or messaging or whatever around that stuff, uh, it rolls through my sort of nerd code brain as like, oh, that's, those are BS words that don't mean anything to anybody. But am I wrong? Does that, does, does that pitch and that angle mean something to people that it lands for? Is that, is that landing for folks? Well, SAP is actually not even the only vendor that uses intelligent, intelligent enterprise, enterprise as, right. as an aspirational model. So it's like not as trademarked as, sure. as they might like to think. But um, I, I think some buy into it to some extent, but of mm -hmm. the use cases I just reviewed before this, I reviewed about 10 different SAP use cases. I would say only one of them really used that as their framework. But like I said, they adapted it a bit beyond how SAP uses it. I just did another, and that was Bombardier, by the way, if anyone wants to do a search on Diginomica oh, could. Yeah. and see. But one of the cool things that Bombardier did, which I really liked, is that they actually started with a whiteboard. And so even though they this the leadership had made some decisions around SAP, they kind of let employees do a whiteboard type experience first and 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 head towards that direction themselves. Mm -hmm. And so so even though they bought into the framework, they weren't they weren't pitching solutions from the beginning. They were starting with industry problems and letting everyone weigh in. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I just did another piece on Cinebra, which is a a big paper pulp manufacturer out of Brazil. And in their case, they embraced an aspirational model of a, of autonomous autom automation. So in okay. their case, it's an automation. And that's also, by the way, an SAP framework that SAP has developed on some slides and they like it. And so it's kind of a series of steps and obviously autonomous automation. We're like a long way off from that. Yeah, uh, yeah. that that's yeah. like a 10, maybe a yeah. 10 year. But, yeah. but the point, the point is that there's steps along the way. And so they embrace that model. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with the fact that people have different models. And I don't think it's it's a failure on SAP's part in a sense that people don't buy into the intelligent enterprise model. If I were going mm. to criticize SAP right now, it wouldn't be for that. It would be for the aggressiveness by which SAP is forcing rise with SAP as a, mm. as a hyperscaling play onto its partners and customers. But that's a side conversation i think yeah. for today's I, podcast it, it is a side, but it's a it's a big one though we john will earmark some budget for your pay for that next yeah. episode talking about that for sure that's, that is top of our minds these days too that all that stuff but so can i can i can i actually drill in on something else a little bit tier two it related to all this stuff because yeah, one please. of the themes one of the themes that we've been talking about both internally among ourselves and with people we meet up with is the changing nature of IT departments and mm. what role that plays within transformation. Yep. So what are you seeing out there in the world with IT departments and their and their roles, responsibilities, effects on on continuous everything? So glad you brought that up. So I did a presentation for SAP, Mastering SAP Australia virtually a uh -huh. couple of years ago that was kind of imperfect, but I got into this because I realized when I was preparing for it that that you have to choose your trans transformation model before selecting your technology, but you also, your transformation model, to your point, is also tied to your IT philosophy. Yeah. And, and, and you have to have your IT philosophy sorted first. 
So for example, there's, I think there's a several different major IT philosophies right now. One would be there's an internal IT model of we have our, we have our own IT competencies. And, and even within that, I would say there's a diversion between those that focus on IT for cost control and efficiency versus those who focus on it for business and competitive advantage mm. at building and stuff like that. Yeah. So e even within that, there's, there's a difference. There's also what you might call, you know, cloud cloud first type startup mentality where companies that intentionally don't want to have an IT department at all and and mm -hmm. and mostly just want to use cloud services that are orchestrated by external third party then there's a classic court kind of IT outsourcing model that's a little bit different than either one of those though mm -hmm. I think the IT outsourcing model has kind of lost a little bit of favor from its prior dominance but it's yeah. really really important it's really really important to get a handle on what what your IT model is. And then of course, there's a related question, which is what is your data science and analytics model? Mm. In other words, are you, are you gonna hire those people internally or are you gonna engage external experts and resources on that front? And those things have to be figured out again before vendor decisions are made. And vendors don't like that because vendors want you to just buy the software and worry about yeah. the stuff later. But, yeah. but you're 100% right. You have to sort that stuff out internally first and come to a long-term decision on that because mm. that affects everything. Mm. Okay. So another inside baseball thing, and maybe you don't know about this. I'm just, because I, I know I've seen Bonnie Tinder a number of times in your in your work both in your in your yeah, uh, twitter yeah. live things and, and podcasts and all that kind of stuff what sp sp maybe i should just reach out to her too but i'd be curious to see if you get a sense from her and people like her like what the enterprise project success and where it ties to that like deep transformation kind of stuff right mm -hmm. like where where along the lines is when you get down and you measure like what what is going to be delivered in a timely cost controlled way versus what is actually transformational like where where do those two sort of graphs meet up you know what i mean absolutely and i i can't speak for bonnie entirely but the one thing i can say is that bonnie's doing an excellent job of measuring sort of success criteria for particular projects. And a mm. lot of that is helping companies to understand, you know, how to set the right KPIs as well. Like, how, so how do you measure success is a really big one, right? Because mm. we used to measure success based on things like go live, whereas that was always foolish. And my departed colleague, RIP Michael Doan was like thrive after go live was his big thing of like, go live's just the beginning. And, and, and I think in the, uh in the SaaS and sort of software as a service era, we kind of understand that you're, you're constantly plugging away and, and you have to keep trying to get more value out of things, but Bonnie's measuring it on a project basis and transformation actually has to be measured across multiple projects. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure she's gotten there yet with her data set because she hasn't mm -hmm. been around as Raven Intel for that long, but it would be mm -hmm. super interesting to ask her because I'm not sure that, that you could pick up on that on a project basis, like, because that's sure. kind of, you would measure transformation by how those products are ultimately stacking up into something. Bigger one thing story, you, so to speak. Yeah. Than, one yeah. thing you may find kind of interesting is that I, I got, I got put on the hot seat at a retail podcast with a very combative, <laughs> combative host. Cause I write about retail a fair amount and he wanted, yeah. he challenged me. He said, give me one example of a company that's pulled off a large scale successful retail transformation. And it was a fair question. And I think like with large 
companies with deep technical implementations behind them. And it's tough. I mean, like this is very different than like than startup companies that can think through their architecture from scratch using the latest cloud services. And this is different from companies like Netflix and Amazon and Google that built at inter, at sort of net cloud scale from the beginning. And those from companies have yeah. their own problems we could talk about. But yeah. the point is that this large scale transformation stuff is really tough. And and the example I gave him was was Target. And oh, yeah. and I think I think Target is the closest you can find in that entire sector by a fairly wide margin actually but mm-hmm. even even target is like going through some tough times now where they've running into issues with their inventory management system and so now they have some setbacks mm-hmm. there but target sends some very very interesting things as far as microservices based open source core kind of stuff that has enabled them to be a lot more quote unquote agile from an IT perspective mm-hmm. and 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 basically one of the things for example is like like whether you're like in a checkout line or on a mobile phone or whatever it is, all those systems are from the same data repository. It's not like sure. a bunch of silos and stuff. Yeah. So they've they've solved some problems, but even then they're still getting into trouble. So there's really like <laughs> like just to, just to think about that where I couldn't come up with a single friggin' example in an entire <laughs> industry. And 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 retail is arguably one of the more invested industries as far as new technology. Seems so like I think it, that yeah. I think that kind of shows you just how difficult this stuff actually is. Huh. That's a good point. That, that that's and that's a fair point to I think to everyone involved, right? Both the at the end customers and the vendors and the SaaS providers and all that kind of stuff is that like it regardless of regardless of of your position on whether the the term is BS or not, doing what the term implies is super freaking hard. And I, I kind of think it kind of similar to what you were saying earlier too, is that like along the lines of even just internal culture, right. Of like your, your identity as a company needs to be like, everyone has to kind of, to use, I don't know, flowery language here. Like everyone, I think kind of, I kind of think everyone has to feel it in their hearts a little bit before you can sort of make it real with bits and bytes and buttons and things like that. Right. It's got to come from, we need to do this because of who we are, right? Versus we need to do this because I need to make this graph do like that, right? So it's it's got it's got some heart feelers along with the other things too. So John, I want to ask you something else too related to all this stuff is that something that James and I talk about a lot is low code development platforms and their ties to transformation and continuous everything where can help us connect the dots to that stuff is that something that folks are seeing as yes this is transformational for us we should invest further and go deeper on those things is that is that coming to life for you as much as it is for us out in the in the boonies where we go write code well i think to whenever you see like new technical terminology your job is to ask yourself like is this genuinely different than stuff that we've had in the past? Mm-hmm. And and to what extent is it different? And mm-hmm. I think low code kind of lands to me somewhere in the middle. You know, uh, there have been a lot of rapid application developer frameworks and, and, yeah. and pseudo GUI interfaces for tech stuff for a long time. But I also think that low code has accelerated this notion of business user friendly, essentially giving business users building blocks that they can use, but also giving developers, this is the thing that's overlooked about low code, is that it can also make developers' jobs a lot easier too. Mm. Where yeah, where true. I really call where I really call bullshit on low code is when I see people saying stuff, low code firms saying, 
business users are building beautiful apps with our tool. It's like, come on, like, like stop with the beautiful apps. You know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's really, really disrespectful. I think to, to, to the best developers out there who really can build beautiful intuitive apps right. that to me, that's not, that's not the low hanging fruit of low code. That's the high hanging fruit way up in yeah, the trees yeah. at, at the top. To me, where low code gets really interesting is is not just like business users building kind of simple productivity apps, which I think is interesting, but I think it's that notion of kind of build your own automation. Like mm. so, so as a business user, you decide, yeah, you know, why am I involved in rubber stamping these kinds of purchase orders? Why can't these be directly routed to the individual involved? And why can't I just do that instead of calling my service provider anymore and having them have to build some custom thing? Why can't I do that? And if I can build it as a business user, and if I can do that in such a way that it doesn't disqualify me or make from future upgrades of, of that software, I think that's really pretty cool. And that goes way beyond like, Oh, I want to make my desktop interface like with the icon in the corner where I like it. Like, like yeah. that's that's nice too. I mean, personalizing mm. your screen can be nice for some people. Sure. But but building your own workflows to me, that to me, that's exciting. And I think that's from yeah. what I'm seeing, like that's real to a point. Like only to a point right now, but that's real. And I think that's exciting. Mm. I, and I, and do, I think it fits. Yeah. In. That's because that's, to the notion of the notion of continuous everything yeah. would would imply no IT bottlenecks, right? So yeah. instead of me requesting that, if I can build it myself and save IT that request, then I'm getting closer to that. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of where it fits too in terms of the, like in the past, I just couldn't I just couldn't make myself that extra 10% more productive. Now I have a tool that can like, you know, mangle this spreadsheet a little bit better for me or mangle this data a little bit better for me that I've, that I just never, I couldn't justify the IT cost for them to build me an, a simple app now I can go like one more step further into the, like the circles are getting closer, right? They don't overlap yet, but they're getting closer between here's all the things I need it, like even down to the piddly little stuff. And here's all the things that IT is equipped as app developers to provide. And the circles are just moving closer and closer together, right? Gradually over the years, over the decades, whatever it, it, it gets closer. And I think it's, I think it's making people's jobs easier because, I mean, James, the folks that we talked to at the Power Platform Conference, they're absolutely think they actually absolutely think of this in terms of like, I, I, I used to spend 10 hours a week doing this and now I spend an hour a week doing this or whatever, that kind of stuff. That's where they are with these things too. And they're just seeing it pop up in their own lives versus being sort of dropped in as an angelic blessing from above from IT on this stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, John, there is one more thing I want to ask you, and this is what I ask all the guests. And so that is this, what are you looking forward to in the future? And this is not just tech and not just software, not just whatever, mm -hmm. but just you personally of all the possibilities of the, what the future could hold of anything. What are you excited about? What are you looking forward to in the future? And you have to describe it using only your hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. That's that's a really good one. You know, I I I think I'm I'm kind of looking forward to a day when when I can kind of like travel freely without having to worry about mass COVID sickness infection <laughs> and and coming home from a trip and getting a sore throat and then 
getting sick for like five weeks. That's kind of a drag. I mean, because right now, like while I'm still I'm going to events again and stuff, and that's great. But I do feel like I'm I'm really on my guard in a lot of ways. Yeah. And and I and I don't think I'm the only one. And and so so I'm kind of looking forward because I'm envisioning a day where where we're going to be a little further beyond that and where there's going to be the ability to kind of move and travel freely. You know, having said that, I'm a huge virtual advocate and I believe that we underestimate the possibilities of the kinds of experiences we can have online. But, mm-hmm. but I, I definitely think that that freedom of movement thing is, is a, I, I kind of took it for granted. I mean, just, just really simple things like, like having to calculate the risk reward out of everything that I choose to do is a little bit of a drag, mm. you know, and, and I'm living, I'm happy. Like, but it's like, so for example, if I want to go to a concert, that's something I think about. Right. Yeah. Whereas I, I just want to go to freaking concert again and yeah. not like have to think about like, yeah, what are the trade-offs? How much do I like this band? Is it worth, you know, one of my potential exposure points to do that? I mean, that's kind of how my brain works. And part of it is because I do have like medical stuff, but I don't think I'm the sure. only person in the world that has no, not at all. medical considerations that no. factor into my decisions. And so yeah. I look forward to kind of a world where, where we can kind of be a little lighter on our feet again, because I think good adventures can be had. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't like doing that constant risk award calculation all the time, but having said that, I, I, I am definitely like really grateful that I can go out and go to events again and meet people and see people face to face. Maybe I'll see you guys somewhere and that'll yeah. be great. You know? Yeah. So, so like, I'm still psyched about that, but it, it's definitely not, I don't feel like we're back and I don't think we're no. going to be back anytime soon. Unfortunately, it, it still feels so. there's still a, there's still a, like a, there's still a fog over it. You know what I mean? There's still a, yep. there's still a little bit of gum in the works still of that stuff. Yep. Yeah. But we'll get there. I think Yeah, we just have, I, yeah. we have, we have to roll with it for a while. Yeah. I like that. That's, that's, that that is definitely the most because like i said i ask all of our guests that stuff that is the most awesomely like personal kind of thing that anyone has said and i really like that i really i really like that that perspective on that stuff so john we 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 work to keep things you know short sharp to the point around here yeah, so yeah. we don't want to hold you any further than we have to this has been awesome we have tons yes. of things to share from this there the cool. the i i i don't even know how i'm going to trim down what you said <laughs> for our blog post that we do about these stuff this will be i might just do a transcript of all the words you said i'm not sure but from from our side of the table we really want to thank you for coming out is there anything sure. you want to promote or tell the listeners about in your universe not really i mean if if you want to dig in further with me i welcome the conversations you can obviously find me on places like linkedin and twitter johnny rp and stuff and i'm always happy to keep the conversation going because you know we all have to keep learning so love to hear from you guys you know write several times a week and sometimes do video stuff and it's always just trying to put out information but it's you know the information is designed to encourage conversations like this because that's where we all get smarter so yeah. thanks. Oh, that's great. Well, and absolutely a lot of smart content coming out of Digonomica. It's yeah, must read stuff for sure. We're big, appreciated. We're huge fans around here for sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you guys are great. Thanks. All right. Well, with that, thanks everyone for listening and watching, and we'll see you next time around.